This is the Shift Podcast. The situation in Russia is currently evolving, and it's on today's Shift Daily Podcast. Dr. Balkan Devlin helps us understand what's really happening in the conflict. We get into possible scenarios for invasions, what border skirmishes look like, how long they've been going on for, how many people have already died over the last bunch of years, what's new, what's not new news, and what we need to pay attention to in the coming days. Handy Annie Barrar is back with an update on how to create the ultimate garden this summer. He's working on automated watering. We look at how Peloton is trying to break into video gaming, digital clothes, and Facebook is on its way out. Plus, are you okay with being literal, like literally being literal? This is the Shift Podcast. And I'm giggling because the very first are you okay has a typo. So let's go. Are you okay with? There, sorry, VK, I didn't give you, you the You gotta cue. say that for the music I did, I got play. so excited. I did, I got so excited about what was going on here um, uh, that I uh, I lost my way. I lost my way. Now, in all fairness, I'm teasing because there's a typo, but it's actually spelled right later in this bit, so we're not going to, uh, we're going to call mm. it evenly balanced. Okay, good. Are, are you okay with being literal? Yes. Literally. Literally, get a point across. Be honest. Be direct. It's a good word and a good mnemonic device. What's the word I'm looking for here? Play. How do I describe plague? being literal? Wow, my what, you! Congratulations, you just witnessed Ryan's brain completely shut down. Congratulations. <laughs> it only gets worse as you get older. Oh, no. That was the first one. The first of many. The first of many. Okay. Mm -hmm. well, yikes. The, 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 sky, the sky is pale blue with few clouds. <laughs> Hippy dippy literal. But still actually figurative, man, because it's figurative because it's got so many stars. But at the same time, literally, it's actually pale blue with clouds. So there you go, man. Literally figurative, man. Whoa. Whoa. It's like a psychedelic Sunday on a new music Monday, man. I love it. Well, I can <laughs> I can put some doors on if we want. Here. Oh, that's a great idea. <laughs> All right. Not um bad. What about you, BK? I imagine you to be a particularly literal person. Yeah, my humor is very literal. Mm -hmm. It's so literal, some might even consider it not humor as just mm -hmm. factual statements said sarcastically. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's that. But I also like to be completely opaque. I have a half of myself that is completely just hippie spiritual weird and opaque and likes to speak in metaphor and then the other half that's completely literal and they're constantly the at other, war with each other the other half of your brain is a spreadsheet that's really exactly what right all right yeah all right so the catholic church is being very literal quite literal it's raising an interesting debate and some eyebrows here on the shift and around the world you ready for this story it's a good story yes. An Arizona Catholic priest has resigned after a church investigation investigation found he performed invalid baptisms throughout most of his 20-year, more than 20-year career. Now, 
you think that like it's a baptism, right? Like, <laughs> plunge, right? Like, splat. <laughs> yeah, that's much exactly it. it. Yeah, pretty right. much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, well. So, it's apparently it's a funeral. Um, so this Arizona Catholic priest screwed up and had all these baptisms become invalid because of one little word. It was a very, very special day that absolutely I had been looking forward since before having kids. Evelyn Ortega's baby daughter Luana was baptized here at Central Phoenix's St. Gregory Catholic Church. Yes, there were tears in my eyes. But a year later, Evelyn and countless other parents have learned their child's baptism didn't count. I don't think the slightest that it was something that he did on purpose at all. Evelyn and other church members are defending Father Andres Arango, her pastor for the last 13 years. He has just lifted, grown the community. But one phrase, incorrectly used by Father Arango, has resulted in his having to leave the community. Phoenix Bishop Thomas Olmsted said the key phrase was, we baptize in place of I baptize. The issue with using we, he said, is that it's not the community that baptizes a person. Rather, it is Christ and him alone who baptizes. That's from 12 News. So basically, he says, we baptize you, plunge, versus I, as the uh, embodiment of Jesus baptizes you. So they spoke with Arizona State University scholar Tracy Fassenden, who said there could be a couple of larger church issues at play here. This seems to be an attempt by the very conservative Bishop of Phoenix to lay down the law. Olmsted also said he consulted with the Vatican's congregation for the doctrine of the faith, citing its ruling against the use of we and baptisms. Church may have come to view uh, Mr. Arango as going off script by making services more communal, he said. Well, which is ironic because of communion, let's just call it yeah. what it is. <laughs> mm-hmm. So this mm. guy, all these people that are baptized are basically unbaptized. Hope you didn't die and go to hell in the meantime. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. yeah, did that count? I I think it's like it's a bit much. It's one I understand the rule, but it in context, you'd think it's like, yeah, you said we, which like we're Catholics, you know, we is a big part of this. So it's not great. Don't do it again. Fix the language. We're all good. But it's kind of like being a bit harsh on this guy. And for wow. 20,000 people. Okay, let's call it for what it is. Ooh. It's Catholics. First of all, of all the yeah. things Catholics should be Catholic, worried about. Yeah. I was raised Catholic, just so you know. Uh, so I feel like I can have an opinion here. Um, of all the things Catholics and the, the Catholic Church needs to be worried about in the world, is it a dude in Arizona saying I versus we, first of all? Second, can't he just say sorry and move along? Isn't that one of the fundamental principles of confession? He needs to yeah, go to confession. The priest needs to confess to God. the people he baptized. Or another priest. Uh, to another priest, clearly. Or he could go to the guy that I saw at the trucker rally in um, in Ottawa who was uh, saving my soul with baby Jeebus uh, on the street corner, en français, just so you know. Like, I mean, maybe he could go there. So this is crazy. Um, like, plus, you know, even the non-godly people, the non-Catholics and the non-godly people that are overarching in a belief system that says, hey, you know, 
belief systems. Could be a, a, a big, big guy named God. Maybe not. Call it the universe. Even those people would say, pretty much sure when you just accept to participate in some sort of belief system that's kind of living into it every day, you know? Like, why don't they worry about other things? Like mm. having Catholics, again, I'm a Catholic, having Catholics make sandwiches other than egg salad sandwiches. Why don't they instead mm. have Catholics read the Bible, not the bulletin? Because that's what Catholics do. Why don't they just work on getting Catholics to actually come to church other than Easter and Christmas when the parking lots are so full and lined up down the street where on an any given Sunday, there's like four cars there. Just saying. I think the iWe thing is a little a little overshot. I guess the but church, the egg salad sandwiches are very good. I was going to say, I guess good. the uh, church just needs more mass appeal. Oh, 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 there he is. That's that other side of his brain that's not the spreadsheet, apparently. That's the non-literal side. Oh, very good. Okay, um, Ryan, I want to make sure we get in uh, for time here. Where are we going next for Are You Okay? So what do you want to do? Ooh, uh, the if you if you got lots of time, if you'd like some time, the uh, the koala story is delightful, oh. or the takeout story is mind blowing. Takeaway: Are you okay with mm -hmm. takeout? I started doing it more because delivery fees are really expensive, and where I live now, I'm really close within walking uh, distance. Uh, who is this guy? I know. What I'm, happened to Ryan O'Donnell? I know I'm really working on the whole money thing because it's Whoa. more expensive to live here. But wow. I yeah, started just walking and picking up the food. You save like we order pizza and it was an extra twenty five dollars in fees just to get it delivered. <laughs> like wow. It's ridiculous. So just go pick uh, it up. Why not? Uh, Brendan Brendan, yeah. let's have a little meeting on the side here for a second, me and you, okay, Brendan. Well, I, I think what's gonna have to happen here is I'm gonna have to start buying like shoes and spending Legos money. and spending money a lot. And yeah, because yeah, like, we I need what's... yeah, we need the balance here. We can't have two unopened Lego sets sitting beside me. That's my project tomorrow. That does make you guys, you guys feel better. Lego. I'm more concerned that a, like an alien has possessed Ryan yeah. right now. Yeah. Right. Well, I say we need the balance. <sighs> maybe so. I I, I have to spend. Unfortunately, maybe Ryan was one of those um I we baptized kids who's like a whole oh, different guy probably, now. Probably, yeah. Hey, hey, hey. Uh, Takeaway is great. Um, it's amazing how much rice they can stuff into a little box. I think that's always impressive when you put it on a plate. When you put when you put takeaway on your plate and you realize how much food it is compared to your normal dinners. <laughs> that in itself should encourage you to not get takeaway. Although pizza, is there anything better than takeaway pizza though? Really? Not really. Even even like Little Caesars, like ten dollar takeaway. That's delightful. Ah, it's good. As long as it's hot. All right. Uh, taking home food can be convenient, super delicious, and time saving. It's important to measure. You check your takeout bag before you leave. Make sure you got everything that's in there because it's terrible when you pull out of the drive-thru and you, you're missing a, 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 a sausage and egg McMuffin. Unfortunately, for these Las Vegas residents, they were unable to check their food for one thing. Thing? Thing. This was a problem. Samantha Diaz and her husband eat at the Secret of Siam all the time, a Thai restaurant in northwest Las Vegas. But on a recent visit, something was off. Taking a curry dish home, eating it two days later. But I was like melting into my chair 
and I got all disoriented and heavy and um and I thought what is happening here and I Samantha was scared thinking she might even be having a stroke I said to my husband I said I said honey I, I think I'm high and he was like get out of here we haven't left the house in two days it wasn't until Super Bowl Sunday Samantha came across social media posts on Facebook and the next door app sharing much of the same experience. Ordering takeout and um, being drugged. And she had explained her symptoms and I said, honey, get in here, I didn't make it up. Reviews about tainted food on the restaurant's Yelp page too, about ER trips and testing positive for THC. Uh, February 10th, health inspectors gave the restaurant an A rating. Investigation has been launched, and she said she understands why my people find this situation funny, even make jokes about herself, but stress that people were drugged unwillingly in this story. That is absolutely wild. This is the Shift Podcast. Well, it's no secret at this point to let you know that there's some unrest over in Europe, eastern uh, Ukraine and Russia and all those things. So we'll just cut straight to the chase here and try to get some more inside info as we try to get ourselves used to, aware of, or learn about what is Ukraine. Uh, Dr. Balkan Devlin, a senior fellow at McDonnell-Laurier Institute, leading the transatlantic program. His lens faces east. Balkan, how are you? I'm pretty good. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me, Shane. It's been a busy few days, I bet. Yes, it has been quite a busy few weeks. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's start with the most recent of the news this weekend, which was Putin basically saying, hey, look, we're just going to acknowledge these folks over here that they kind of want to be with us. I'm summarizing, of course, and paraphrasing, but it seems to be that um, all of this posturing has led to trying to negotiate for a couple of small areas before anything turns nasty. Am I reading that right? So, I mean, there, there are a few ways to look at. It. So today's uh, sort of press conference and the prior to it, what is what turns out to be probably a, a recorded meeting of the Security Council of Russia uh, takes into account the uh, the recent uh, decree that was sort of uh, passed by by the Russian Parliament Duma uh, on uh, last week um, about calling for uh, for for Russian Federation to recognize. The so-called uh, republics there, Luhansk People's Republic and Donetsk People's Republic, so basically um, puppet regimes uh, under Russian control, to be recognized as independent states. And today, uh, Putin put a big, you know, show of or a staged uh, thing to basically sign up uh, to say that Russia does recognize these uh, breakaway regions as. Um, as independent uh, countries, and sign also, you know, what they call uh, euphemistically uh, friendship and cooperation agreements, which is basically uh, uh, legalizes Russian, at least in the, in the eyes of the Russian Federation, uh, their uh, presence, official uh, military presence uh, in those in those places. So that's what happened today. They basically, you know, to, to cut it short, they basically recognize. Um, uh, two regions that are already under Russian control uh, that belong to Ukraine and, and you know, in violation of, of, of all international law, uh, recognize those regions as um, as independent republics uh, and, and station and will go into, going to station Russian troops there um, as so-called peacekeepers um, there. And I, unfortunately, that's probably only the start. And we can talk more on that in a minute. But I think this is only the start of uh, pretty darker days uh, for European security and uh, and world security. 
So uh, I, I do want to come back to that. I, I'm going to switch gears here slightly and say that, you know, Macron is looking to get you, Russia and Ukraine and, and America together to have a little a little uh, chat to diffuse things. Um, does that seem this just seems re- so reminiscent of the sort of the Czechoslovakia back in the day stuff, right? Where there's a bunch of other people basically negotiating the future of something that's not even theirs to begin with. And I, yes. I now this is a very layman look at it, not, you know, an educated look like you take with your um, academic study and work. But the um, it seems to me it's kind of like, well, how about if I'm Ukrainian, I'm I'm bothered by the fact that, you know, Russia and America want to meet to talk about my future if I'm an independent state. So how can we say Ukraine is democratically elected government? Uh, globally recognized independent state sovereign and then yet allow and support these other countries to, to decide the future? Uh, first, I don't think that meeting is going to go ahead anyway at this stage. Uh, when this was going over the weekend, when Macron was uh, talking at 2 a.m. in the morning with, with Putin, the, the conditioning was that you know, there won't be any invasion uh, of Ukraine. Now, this will count as an invasion. I mean, fundamentally, when you move in, uh, troops to another country. This is invasion. So I, I very much doubt that that supposed meeting would go uh, forward. And in the morning today, um, you know, our morning, but their their afternoon, uh, Pascal, the the spokesperson for Kremlin, uh, basically said that well, it's too early to talk about uh, kind of a summit. We didn't really talk about the details, etc. So he basically uh, said that you know we, we you know in in not in so many words, but you know. Uh, we, we take Macron for a ride over the weekend, and you know we just uh, we just talk. Um, on, so on the one hand, that's 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 one one answer. It's not going to go over. The second thing is, of course, that the, uh, the U.S. and and, and also the, the French and the Germans uh, were trying to sort of maintain a two track um, sort of uh, approach to it. One, um, trying to talk with Russia um, on what they sort of or Russians claim to be. Uh, about you know European secret architecture and and relations with NATO, um, but on the other hand, if anything uh, is going to be talked about Ukraine and Ukrainian sovereignty, uh, both the US and and the and the Europeans uh, insisted that that Ukraine should be on the table. There is this famous Polish saying, you know, uh, nothing without us about us. Uh, you know, when when it comes to uh, discussing these things, so the the allies in this has tried to maintain. Uh, that line uh, throughout these negotiations, saying that if you want to talk about NATO, okay, we can sit down and talk as NATO members. Or if you want to talk between Russia and the United States about the issues that we together deal with, such as arms control, nuclear weapons, etc., we can talk. But anything that involves Ukraine, Ukrainian sovereignty, Ukrainian territory, we need to have Ukraine on the table there as well. So that's one way to do. But of course, uh, Putin, uh, as he made it very clear today, he does not think Ukraine is a is a sovereign state, is an independent state. He doesn't even take Europeans, to be frank, um, mm-hmm. serious. He only wants to talk to the Americans. And he basically claims that, well, you know, I'll do what I do until I get the Americans to agree uh, to my demands and then force the allies, the Europeans and the Ukrainians, to, to give in. Um, that's just a uh, Quite a distorted view of reality uh, from Putin's uh, Putin's perspective, and that is actually worrying. So, okay, let's play let's play um, let's play the game here and lay out the board and, and lay out our risk board because it's kind of like the game of risk. Yes. Um, so, what we have is you have um, France, who seems to be taking on the uh, uh, stereotype role of Switzerland. 
France would also be, you know, not very far away from this conflict when it happens, right? Um, there's going, if there is a misfire of any sort or an oops or an accident or a plane crashes, I mean, that's not far away. Germany, on the other hand, economically stands to really get crushed here because of all the work they've done with pipelines and plus proximity and trade. So plus their neighbors. Um, so um, it seems like everybody's starting to posture their way to a future. There's not a lot of people that are basically taking this sort of NATO approach of, you know, here's the boundary. There's the eastern border. This is yours. This is not yours. Go away. There's not many people that seem to be doing that. Um, and in classic American fashion, my words um, with American politics, not people, but politics, is they always seem to sit back and wait and see what they can sell first before they get involved. This seems to be unfolding exactly like a hundred years worth of conflict has unfolded. Yes. Um, I mean, particularly the issue, I would say, on the European attitudes, there is still the talk of considerations of sanctions against Russia, even after today's announcement that they're recognizing these breakaway regions as independent states. It shouldn't be consideration anymore. It should be applied. You know, you should have uh, you know, severe economic sanctions targeting Putin, targeting oligarchs, targeting their wealth uh, and their uh, their families. I mean, like we talked before, these people have property and, and cash and, and, you know, investments in our countries, you know, hiding in plain sight. Um, uh, and we still allow them uh, to operate, which, you know, should not be the case. Unfortunately, uh, most of our European allies are still under the illusion that this is a regime, Putin's regime, is someone that you can sit down and, and reach a good faith agreement. And therefore, they're still unwilling to make the necessary steps to what you just suggested, you know, draw a line uh, there saying that, look, th- there will be significant costs if you if you cross them. And unfortunately, that doesn't seem to be happening yet. There will be some sort of sanctions, but, um, you know, uh, one of the primary reasons, as you pointed out, that there is a significant energy dependence uh, on, uh, especially on the part of Germany, um, to natural gas that's coming um, from Russia. And I would actually add that we, we, with our inability to actually finish energy projects and get Canadian energy and um, you know natural gas uh, and you know get set up the necessary pipelines and and um, and LNG terminals in on our east coast, we we lost. Um, a significant opportunity here to not only assist our allies in Europe with uh, LNG, um, uh, you know, selling them LNG and providing them the natural gas, but also a significant commercial opportunity for Canada. Billions of dollars actually yeah. we're losing. Um, so that's that, that's also another you know completely different topic. But you know, there 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 were a lot of things that we could have done if we had that energy uh, infrastructure ready to be shipped. You know, shipping Canadian natural gas. Uh, uh, to uh, to Europe, yeah. Um, so that there is that issue of uh, economic um, sanctions, economic um, uh, trouble, uh, and I, I'm not sure to what extent the Europeans are willing to carry the burden um, and and willing to pay any price. But the the thing is, they're they're not willing to pay a price of cents today. When if there is a war, they'll be paying hundreds of dollars, you know, right. uh, because they don't want to do it now. As you said, if if war, if a major war erupts in the middle of Europe, there will be refugees, there will be major economic dislocation, yeah. human misery. It is it is a disaster, yeah. and it can still be stopped. Um, 
but and unfortunately, Europeans don't seem to be um, uh, willing to to bear any any costs uh, for doing that, and that's troubling. Well, let's uh, pennies versus dollars is a great conversation. Let's just sit on that for a second and just look. I mean, look at the EU in general and Brexit. That's not even all solved. It's not like that's a peaceful flow of uh, industry uh, product. You spoke about uh, natural gas and stuff on the East Coast. So one of the things America had said to Germany was like, don't worry about it. If you guys can't take that Russian pipeline, don't take it. We will make sure you have enough. So there's, you know, they're capitalizing on it, sure, but they're going to be sending an awful lot of ships across the ocean. So, you know, that that matters, too. For all of the for all of the um, shipping routes that have been shut down for, you know, green global reasons, they, those things are going to open up wide just to keep things moving. Canada could have contributed to that. Imagine the, so the, we yeah. talk about energy in Canada and what happens in Canada. This is the impact of what happens in Canada into what happens with energy product around the world. So we are exactly. contributing and we are actually handcuffing some of those other countries because we're not ready to help. Now I'll add on to that too, the real estate. There's an awful lot of money. Now this is an unrelated topic, but if you look at, you look at some of those Trump documentaries, I mean, those are one-sided mm-hmm. clearly, but they do follow the path of the investment money that some of those businesses have had from international um, contributors and partners, including Russia. So if you just look at the amount of Russian money that's in New York, in those big buildings, uh, that's in Canada too. So one yes. of the things we hear about in Canada, inflation, housing, interest rates, all those things. So if you all of a sudden were to lock that down and pull billions and billions of real estate dollars out of Canada, that collapses everybody. And that so that starts to take away or add on to inflation, collapse house prices, all those kinds of things that could happen. I'm not an expert, but it could happen um, in Canada. So you start to see the ripple effect of the dollars versus the pennies, as you described exactly. it earlier on. And um, it 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 does cascade very quickly. So I only bring that up, not because I'm the expert, Balkan's the expert here, but the, um, the, the fact is, is that that's how tangled up we are with bad political deals from the past that affect the, the black and white clarity on what's happening today. So let's, uh, Dr. Balkan, Devin, let's talk about the future. Yes. You had said about what could happen here. Um, I don't know if I want to speculate, but because um, it's ugly. Anyway, yeah, anyway. Any way we look at this, it's ugly. There is no, there is no sunshine in this conversation. I mean, I'd say there are three main scenarios that might happen. One is that uh, you know, Russia recognizes, as they did, the, the, those regions as independent republics, move the troops, but just remain uh, on what is the actual contact line uh, where they're all in the controlling and do not move beyond. Because those uh, those puppet regimes, the the LNR and DNR, Donetsk People's Republic and, and Luhansk People's Republic, um, claim areas that are beyond what they are controlling right now. So they're you know claiming regions that are traditionally considered Donbas, uh, which is they are controlling about forty percent of it, but the sixty percent of that part is under under the Ukrainian government control. So uh, they, the Russians could move in and that in the 40% that is already controlled by these separatists, remain there and claim that the rest is being occupied by Ukraine, but do nothing, right? So this is the minimal scenario that might happen. Um, this might be problematic, you know, put in, you know, maintain the or ability to escalate in the future later on. Um, this could be, you know, taking a step back to jump further later on, right? It is one of the scenarios. The second one is that they claim 
you know, territory beyond what they control right now within the whole Donbass, which is the remaining 60% of that region, which is the whole region is a smaller part of Ukraine, of course. It's you know, maybe 10% of the whole whole area. Ukraine is a very big country. Um, but, you know, it, it, what it means is that those separatist groups with the Russian army move in and try to take several other cities that are currently under Ukraine you know, uh, control. Uh, once that sort of a regional war starts, it's extremely hard to figure out whether they will remain and confine to the Donbass region, or will they move on to Kiev, right? Will they move on a full-scale invasion? So the second scenario is they try to capture the rest of Donbass and claim as such. The third scenario is that they move in and they will actually sort of make a beeline and, and an attempt to capture or pressure Kiev, right? So it's a full scale of invasion of Ukraine with an attempt to change government there and dictate terms. This is full scale invasion. Um, even with that, it's, it's unlikely to be an occupation. You know, Ukraine is a you know, country of 45 million people. Uh, you cannot really occupy and pacify a highly hostile uh, region with only 200,000 troops. You know, Americans and everyone else saw that in, in Iraq, in Afghanistan and elsewhere. You can carry out an operation, you can decimate Ukrainian military, you can bomb the cities, but you cannot really keep a puppet regime, regime there. So that's the worst case scenario. Right? Russians get in, move beyond Donbass, aim for Kiev. This is, you know, this will be the biggest war in Europe since Second World War. This is a major war. We're talking about millions of refugees. We're talking about hundreds of thousands of people dying. This is a big, big thing if it happens. Hopefully we won't go there. Um, but those are the three main things. It can remain in the current uh, line of control where they are already controlling, just basically making it de jure legal, I mean, in their op- opinion, um, and not only de facto control. They could try to capture part of the territory, or they could try to dictate the terms by trying to go into Kiev. And none of this is good, uh, unfortunately. Ah, God, this is tough. Um, Yes. Okay, let's talk. Then let's. I'm trying to be really pragmatic on this. Uh, I find I get emotional, right? I feel it's so disappointed in humanity. Um, The uh, skirmishes. A lot of people don't know that for the last like eight years, there has been, and I don't even know if I understand the extent of which, but there has been a long list of skirmishes on that eastern border. Are we seeing- 14,000 people died. 14, oh, is that how many, 14,000 people died. So it's not small. Like this is, no. so are we starting to see the media pay attention to skirmishes now that have been there all along, or are they actually changing and becoming more dramatic? Because I'm worried that, of course, the news is trying to find some sort of information to talk about because, you know, this thing's kind of moving like a slug. So what are you going to talk about? Well, let's talk about these skirmishes, the shelling, some of these things that are going on. Well, just so you know, if you didn't know, it's actually been going on for almost a decade. And um, and like uh, Dr. Devlin just said, like there's a lot of people who have died. So has that part of it changed much or is it pretty much status quo? It did change in the past uh, couple of weeks, a dramatic increase in what they call the ceasefire violations, shelling uh, across the contact, uh, contact uh, line. I do have friends who, whom I talk with um, uh, who work uh, and, and who are very well informed about what is going on uh, over there. 
on the on the on the contact line, and it's really a very dramatic increase in terms of the the way that those separatists and Russia backed proxies are 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 you know violating the ceasefire and, and shelling and firing upon Ukrainian uh, Ukrainian positions, and that really dramatically increased in the past few weeks. Um, the so because prior to that, about a year or two prior to this, things were I mean still going on, but it was much more you know one casualty a month or something. So it's things were you know a lot lot lower intensity it did significantly increase and of course now that if we have um you know official russian troops on the border um that's you know that's a whole another powder keg ready to explode right if ukrainians respond and they kill russian soldiers russia uh, could claim this is causes belly this is a reason for war and uh and and decide to wholly invade uh Previously, it was the separatists who are being, you know, firing upon. Now it could very well be the Russian forces, uh, and that changes the dynamic significantly. So it, we need to be paying attention to those skirmishes uh, much more closely. It's also possible, as they are doing right now, that Russia might claim uh, attacks by Ukrainian forces as false flags. Basically, you know, they they fire upon the, their own people and then turn around and say, "This is Ukrainians are doing it. That's why we are invading." Right, it could create the more sort of fog of war you have, the more uncertainty and, and confusion going on, the the easier to come up with a pretext if you decided to go for a full scale invasion, uh, because we are responding, they are not attacking, they are defending, and all that kind of thing. Um, and those those skirmishes will continue to be a, a potential, uh, uh, you know, flashpoint um, going forward. Yeah, but you don't know who actually did it, right? That's no. the thing, right? Like, you never know. I mean, they could have dropped no. it on themselves, blown up a few of their own folks. Exactly. Uh, and that's it, most likely the case, right? This is the false flag operation yeah. stuff. And it could be um, separatists who um, who who make a mistake, and then all of a sudden the exactly. country's blamed for it. Um, I mean, what's the point of Ukrainians to <laughs> try to uh, attack Russian forces knowing full well mm-hmm. that if this is the case, uh, they're high likely to be sort of invaded. It's just you know it doesn't it doesn't necessarily compute. Uh, but again, if you don't have anybody around to confirm one way or another, you can make all the claims you want and then use that as a pretext to invade another country as Russia does. Hi, yeah, but this is propaganda, right? This is what's happening, and we don't even get into the fact that um, you know I'm sort of curious as you know how much Russia is burying some of these smaller communities inside Ukraine, plus Ukrainians, with a hacking, b inconvenient access to information, blocking information, denial of service, flat out propaganda saying, "Hey, by the way, you're better with Russia than you are with Ukraine in the Western world." Like that doesn't even get into that part of it. That must be wildly out of control. Yes, I mean that's you know that that's a continuous sort of thing for Russia, right? This th- what we really need to understand is that that level of political warfare and uh, uh, and subversion, um, not only against Ukraine but also against the West and against us, uh, is a continuous process in the past eight years. Mm. Um, and honestly, um, we should, and I'm pretty sure we are getting prepared. Uh, once we impose these sanctions on on Russia because of the, the recognition of these two separatist republics, um, w- our infrastructure, our banks, our uh, systems will be targeted by Russia uh, in cyber attacks and and other ways. They are already doing that, um, and they will ramp up uh, that. So that that low level war 
that is waged by Russia against the West on the cyber realm, on the propaganda, on the disinformation continues mm. and it will be ramped up. So we should also be ready. So this is not something happening out there only. It is happening here in Canada. It will continue to happen and it will increase. So we should really be prepared um, for the consequences of not standing up to, um, to Putin's aggression. I find myself saying this more and more as I think I'm trying to talk myself into being patient. Time will tell. And, uh, and I, I wish that I didn't have to try to talk myself into being so patient with this. We will continue with our conversation. Um, Balkan, we're actually, we've been chatting with Orist um, and the Ukrainian Canadian group. I know that uh, we had some conversations and, and I, he asked me about you and if I had spoken to you and, and so on. And, and so we're able to create a bit of um, understanding of Ukraine as a sovereign nation, plus this overarching look from the top down with you. So between the, those two sets of conversations, thank you for contributing to such an important part of this for all of us Canadians who are listening. Cause I don't think any of us had any idea that it was this wild. Like it's it, like the wild West. Yes. Unfortunately it is. And it's always a pleasure to, to come to your show and um, be able to talk these things in, in detail rather than, um, you know, three minute soundbite uh, versions right. uh, on, on other places. So yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm always very happy to do this. All right. it, it enables me to go, uh, go on talking. Um, in, in more detail. Yeah, well, we appreciate that. Thanks for sharing, being so generous with your time. Thank you very much. Talk to you later. This is The Shift Podcast. Time to have some fun, learn some stuff with Andy. That's a symbol at the end. It's amazing. Uh, the guy who made that movie died, eh? I know. I got their email from you. What are the chances? Yeah. So the the composer that that actually uh, made that song and brought disco music to Hindi movies back in the, I guess the late seventies, early eighties, he just passed away. And so uh, Shane, you sent me that email, and what what are the chances? Just as it became my theme song here on right. the show. Well, oh, you brought it to life well. again. So, see, as one as one sun sets with that that producer, um, you have uh, begun a new sunrise. Yes, of, that's right. Of His Hindi music lives movie on. Disco. Yeah, I, I take. I, it's like handing the conch. He's giving me the disco conch. That's right. Or, or like a lava lamp. And, uh, the lava, and might be a lava it. lamp. It yeah. might be more of a lava lamp. Very cool. Uh, HandyAndyMedia.com if you want to check out what Andy gets up to. Also, ShiftHeads.ca. Uh, he posts the videos and the things there as well. Um, here we are, Andy. Um, <laughs> I don't know what you want to talk about. <laughs> what do you want to talk about today? Well, uh, I posted this video today because I, I, I've been talking about my obsession about setting up this uh, self-watering gardening system at mm -hmm. home and so i have been working really hard on this like i did a little prototype of, of 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 trying to system out and it worked and now i'm doing like it five times more uh, around my house so hmm. for 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 all the listeners out there you have to go to the shiftheads.ca uh facebook group and you'll you'll find the video or you can go to handyandymedia.com as well i posted the video there but essentially what i'm trying to do is 
you know, everybody has like their outdoor water source, right? Your little water mm-hmm. tap. Mm-hmm. What I'm doing is I'm connecting like a whole bunch of them to just one water tap. So it, like in, in your house, when you have a power bar and say you on an outlet and you kind of split it, that's basically what I'm doing. And if you see this video, you'll see how I'm actually creating, they're called spigots, these outdoor water spigots. And mm-hmm. I'm using old fence posts to to create a little system where I can hold it in place. And unlike most like how-to videos where they say, here's how you do it. This one, you're just kind of watching me go through this experience, coming across problems, figuring out a solution, and then moving forward. So um, so it's an interesting kind of behind-the-scenes look at, at the making of this system. And then next week, Shane... I think we'll share a video of the actual system on so people can see the, the crazy idea that I've, I'm up to this year. Uh, I really want to grow blueberries, but I don't want to water yep. them. So this is the system that's going to allow for it. You know, I have, you are I did a, not forget for what happened last year. Well, blueberry killer really is what happened. Um, premeditated blueberry killing. Now, I was looking at your post here and I had some thoughts and I had um, because some completely unsolicited contributions to your cause. You ready? Okay, I'm ready. Uh, so the post is fa- fancy. Now you see, like you have the. Um, so many people will take like the PVC pipe, the black PVC pipe, and they'll just basically like strap it on the side of their garage or their shed or whatever, and it looks dreadful. It's garbage. It looks terrible. Yes. It looks cheap. And so the way that you've created this post and shaped this post looks really cool. It looks professional. Kind of looks actually like a campground style of a post, right? That's right. For the yeah. water. Now, did you, I was looking closely at at the uh, and an amazing backyard, by the way, um, except for the all the dead blueberries. But the <laughs> the uh, on the post, I didn't notice it being a frost free tap. Yes. Now here we use frost free taps, obviously different in Vancouver. Is that of a concern for you uh, when it comes to these lines and draining them? Because I was also curious if you hollowed out the post where you put up the. Um, where you put the pipe through it, did you insulate it as well? No, no. So these are good questions because I'm going to actually turn the system off probably, I'd say, uh, at the end of September and then basically turn it back on maybe May or April, May. So there's this big leg. It's really designed for the summertime because I live on the West Coast. It rains here a lot, so I should be okay. It's what happens in in uh, you know June, July, and August, that's where everything dies because I'm not used to watering anything. You know, Shane, I'm I'm always out and about doing DIY projects that I forget to water. And so, what happened in in the past is every time I tried to grow something, it'd be one weekend in the year where I would forget, or maybe I would travel and it got really hot and everything died. And I finally said, you know what? I have the know-how. I can build this system. So this will never, I'm basically taking myself out of the equation right. by building the system so that mother nature can give me all the sun that I the plants need. And this system gives all the water and I'm going to be able to time it exactly when I want each of these zones to be watered. And the system I'm creating, Shane, I'll have 20 different self-watering zones that I can create. So this mm. is going to keep me busy forever. As long as I can find old fence panels, I can keep building these boxes and keep growing stuff all on its own once it's built. And I'm I'm only weeks away, man. I'm obsessed. Like this, it's cold outside, and I'm still out there working on this. So I can't wait to show everybody once it's done. 
Uh, there was a text came in about hydroponics. Now you don't use hydroponics uh, because you like gardening. Is is that a safe assumption? Because yes, you would probably be able to grow, you know, and have the self watering issue get solved. But you're talking about outdoor gardens, real yes. gardening. I mean, because you like the real gardening, you just don't like. You'd rather be skipping than watering. <laughs> exactly. I'd rather jump or disco rope dancing, thing. maybe. Or, or disco dance, or jump rope to disco dancing music. Um, yeah, oh, so that's the go. issue. These, the, um, you know, hydroponics is typically used indoors. I actually had a system that was like a vertical garden that you could put in your kitchen with a hydroponic system where it had a tank and then you would put all the nutrients in it and it would pump it through. The issue I had with hydroponics is that because the light hits there, you get algae buildup. You have to clean the whole system. You have to make sure the pH of the water, everything has to be dialed in perfectly. And what I realized is I'm old school. I like soil. Give me some manure. And all you really need to do is just add water. And I couldn't even do that, Shane. You know, I have to build this entire system so I can still garden with and not worry about the watering uh, that happens in the summertime. So I think this is a really cool DIY uh, experiment because it, it shows that anybody can build this. As long as you have an outdoor water source, you can split that away. Provided you don't live in a very cold area, because like you said, if you were living uh, back east or somewhere where it's where it's colder, you would definitely want to, um, you know, make sure it doesn't freeze uh, to create a system. But because I live on the West Coast, it's not really much of a worry, especially that I'm going to turn it off and blow the pipes out so there's no water in there when it gets turned off. That's the right. most important thing. Yeah, well, and well, you have to do that, of course, wintertime, because you never know what's coming. I mean, this past... Um this past uh, winter in BC, you guys got a cold spell that I haven't seen in such a long time. So, you know, that's going to be a thing too. And not to mention, I mean, call it for what it is. One of the things that you're not keen on in your community garden, all those things is really being a day to day sort of micro gardener person with this. I mean, your lettuce and your kale got wild, right? Yes. At some point, yes. right? It was, yes. it was like a forest. It was like the, well, he, it was like the, um, the ancient trees of lettuce and kale sized yeah. like put a yeah. road it was like an amazon of forest of of it just was. like huge kale growing there and this system by the way i'm actually going to be able to tap it into the community garden and create that as a self-watering system too okay. so i can't wait to the because all my neighbors are like you know you need to water those plants and i'm like just wait wait till you see this watering system that i have up my sleeves it's i can't wait to launch it um in a, in a couple of weeks but i'm obsessed shane i'm working on this all the time i apologize i talk about it a lot but this is excited this, though i love it i know but i just it's just like if this works my life is going to change you know i'll grow mm -hmm. so much food and then every time someone comes over i'm just going to give them bags of produce like here take some kale take some spinach take some lettuce love it I got more. It's good. I wish I could do it. I, I I totally wish I could do it. I mean, this is something that I would love to do. I can't do it in my neighborhood because of uh, the bunnies here are wild. I would, everything that I would do would have to be in lifted, right? Uh, tubs, which makes things more difficult because the bunnies are literally everywhere. We walk out the front door, there'll be four of them uh, sitting right on the stoop, right? They're just everywhere, the hairs. So, you know, for me, it's more expensive. So I love it when you talk about it and I love the free salad. So. Take it. <laughs> uh, coming yeah, up next here on the shift. Hey, sorry, go ahead, bud. Oh, I say you can live vicariously through through me and all the yes. the yes. produce I, I grow. Trust me, I already do. Handy Andy Barrar joins us here on the shift. HandyAndyMedia.com. DIY gardens. It is the uh, season to get started. 
Uh, weather there uh, probably inside for most of Canada as it's pretty darn cold this week, but on the West Coast around 4 degrees and things are starting to roll inside the greenhouse with Andy. Now, not only all of this, but at handyandymedia.com, you can check out the techs, the gadgets, the Peloton has been a conversation we've had a bunch of times through the pandemic. Riding a bike inside with a coach or a course or something to follow, they've uh, they've changed it up again. That's right. Uh, Peloton, you know, they're struggling. They're trying to get people to continue riding their bike and, and subscribing to their monthly subscription while they're getting into gaming now. So they've announced this new game inside the Peloton app called Lane Break. And if you've ever played Guitar Hero, then you kind of know what this game's all about. Essentially, you got to like pedal, you use the resistance knob to switch lanes. And then at, at certain points, you have to like pedal faster and you get points and you can there's a leaderboard so essentially what they're trying to do and something that we've kind of talked about shane that i think we really need to see we're seeing a new product category called connected fitness gaming so it combines connected fitness products and gamification principles so it's like metric gamification so you get points and that's part of the game except you have to pedal in this in this instance to play and i think that's where I would like to see video games go in the direction, Shane, because we know that video games are really popular. We know that they're making more money than Hollywood. The only problem is video like we have a knowledge-based society where we're sitting and working in front of a computer. That means like when we're not working, we can't be sitting and playing video games. At some point, we got to move. And I think this is the right direction. I just don't know if it's going to stick with Peloton. But I know other companies will try to do this as well. And it's basically hits two birds with one stone. You get entertainment and exercise all in one. Well, it is. It, it, how many dads have you heard the dad joke about putting a generator on there, right? So if you want the kids to play video games, they got to ride the bike in order yeah. to have the electricity. I mean, that, that's a great idea. It kind of sounds very dad of me, but I think it's a great idea. Well, this is the idea that I think I talked about it on this show before that I had. Peloton should make a, a deal with Netflix and say, we want to give people the ability to watch Netflix for free, provided they pedal. As long as you keep pedaling, you get credits and then you can watch your Netflix show and then your credits run out, but you got to keep pedaling to watch that mm. show. So you could go ahead and marathon on a show and you're literally on a marathon on a bike ride at the same time because you, you can't watch it unless you're moving. I think that would be a great idea for Peloton. Um, it might some people who, you know, Netflix is getting expensive. So you could have a Peloton and just bike your way to watch your free shows. I think that would be a brilliant move on their part. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, well, I, this is a cool idea. You'd probably get ads, though, mixed into that because you got to make money. Uh, just so you know, the this is uh, Hope This Saves Peloton. The price of Peloton stock a year ago, literally one year ago, February 19th, $139.79 per share. Price um, after hours is up slightly. The last close was twenty nine sixty three. Wow, per share. So wow, yeah, they're grabbing so on they're, anything they can. Well, they're trying to pivot uh, and they're trying to stay relevant. So they're they're not looking at themselves as a bike anymore, but more of an ecosystem for connected fitness. Yeah, no, pivot, pivot. Um, next here on the program with Handy Andy Barrar. I'm Shane Hewitt, is um, uh, digital clothes. You can go shopping for digital clothes. Too bad Ryan's not here at the moment. Um, you can take your little avatar and you can spend money on clothing. 
Yeah, so there's an actual company in Richmond, British Columbia, a garment factory that has 30 years of making actual physical garments. Now they're making clothing for the metaverse. So whatever they're making in, in real life, they're making digital versions that you could use on your avatar in the metaverse. And this is this whole metaverse. We've talked a lot about it and where you put on a VR headset and you live in this other world where you can create an avatar and communicate with people. Well, what they're trying to do in the metaverse is you could buy clothing and then sell that clothing to other people just like you would in real life. Like you, like there's that, um, I know there's an app where you can sell your used clothing to other people that's sitting in your closet. Well, they're trying to do that. The only thing, Shane, and I don't know what your opinions are on the metaverse, like, you know, are people ready to pay real money for digital goods that don't really exist in real life? for avatars that live, you know, in the internet. I just, it's it's just, as someone who follows tech so much, I just still can't wrap my head around that, that whole concept. I think that people are ready to spend their money on anything that gives them a dopamine hit and makes them feel good. So um, I think that's a thing. I think that is it going to be a mass, mass market scenario where everybody's doing it? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think real life kicks in and, and people, when it, there's a time when people are going to realize that all the money they've spent has gotten them nothing, right? And um, and I think that people are going to catch on to that, that it doesn't get you anything. That leads us to this last story we have about a minute, Andy. Uh, the, it's You believe it's the end of Facebook, huh? Yeah, I think Facebook end has begun. You know, their user growth has really uh, decreased for really the first time. And they're trying to compete with Inst or. Instagram and Facebook are trying to compete with all the likes of Snapchat and um, TikTok. And what you're seeing, Shane, is I think Facebook's problem is a lack of innovation. They have never invented really anything. They just keep copying people. They're so big. They yeah. lack that innovation. They're not making money. They lost $10 billion in ad sales because of the move that Apple did when they had the app tracking. So I think what you're going to see in the future is Facebook either might get broken up with uh, Instagram, you know, being a separate company, this whole pivot to the metaverse, this is a big gamble on Facebook's part. And if they don't, if they don't make this, you know, it, they could be in some serious trouble in the near future. Yeah. Facebook, um, meta, the company that owns Facebook because of WhatsApp and everything else that they're, they're doing. Um, we've done some great research and work here on the shift. If you listen back to the old podcast too, about their work, about even doing deals with free Wi-Fi. And um, that if you access a free Wi-Fi network that Facebook has funded, it'll actually push your WhatsApp messages through first, your Instagram messages through first. You get priority in your throttling there. So it's cool stuff what they're up to. Facebook itself, you're right. No new innovation for a really long time. Um, Andy is here. Andy Barrar, handyandymedia.com. Thanks, buddy. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.